right, well, good morning to everyone. Good morning and happy first Sunday, first full weekend of September, which means first weekend of football. Very good. There we go, footballs. Uh, my assumption is there's some people who this is their worst Sunday of the year. Probably some football widows out there. Any football widows? In case we're worried they're going to lose their husband from now till January. Okay. Well, the good news is, is, as difficult as it may seem, you know, to suffer for the next few months of football, like I said earlier, the skins are going to stink. So the expectation is that by November, by Thanksgiving, skins fans won't care about football anymore. So you're in good shape right here. But because it is the first Sunday of the football year, today is the one weekend of the year. Forget about the Thursday night game from two days ago. The one weekend of the year that every team is undefeated. And every team has unlimited hope. And every team is, this is our year, and we're going to the Super Bowl this year, and this is a week of wishful thinking. So, since football season is wishful thinking, I thought we'd do something special here today. We're kind of in between series here. Okay, we're starting a new series next week. Um, it's going to be Friends and Family Day. It's going to be a fun series. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about how to deal with those people that make us angry and what to do and how to be angry and do not sin. We're going to have a lot of fun with that starting next week. But we're kind of between series here today. So I thought, you know what, let's go wishful thinking from my end as well. Today, what I want to talk about for a few moments that we have here together is if I had a wish, four wishes to be honest, four wishes of what it is that I would want for you as a member of this church. So if you're like just checking us out here today for the first time, this is a great Sunday for you to be here because you're going to get to learn about kind of what my heart is and what I see being a member of this church is all about. Okay, and if you are a member of this church and you've been kind of coming here for a while and, and you're, you're kind of one foot in and one foot out, well, let me kind of talk to you today to say, if you were to go all into the church, this is what I wish for you. I wish these four things for every single person who says, STSA, this is my church, this is my family, you're my priest, I call you father, like I look to you for spiritual guidance. What is it that you want from us as church members, as a church family? I'm gonna talk about, four things that indicate what it is that I would want. Now, the easy answer, if you ask any priest, any pastor, any preacher, he's going to say what he wants from his congregation is spiritual maturity, all right? And I, I see this verse right here from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that says that grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's like the easy answer. What I want for you is I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to grow more mature in your faith. But I want to go a little bit beyond that and kind of define what I think that looks like. And what does it mean to grow spiritually? And what I'm not going to say is I want you to read your Bible. I do want you to read your Bible, but I want to think bigger than that. I'm not going to say I want you to pray more. I'm not going to say I want you to give or I want you to fast. Those are all things that I absolutely think are important I want you to do. But I want to look at a little bit of a higher level. What is it my life supposed to look like as a member of the church? And I want to go less on the details and more on the forks in the road. You know those fork in the road moments, don't you? We all have them. Those times where like there's a decision in front of us. And sometimes we make that decision. What's the Robert Frost guy? The road less traveled that made all the difference, right? The two roads diverged. And sometimes we make that decision and it opens up. And sometimes we hesitate on that decision. Well, I want to talk about those kind of major life decisions, the bigger things, the forks in the road, the thing that kind of changed the trajectory of our life. And I want to talk about four wishes or wants that I have for you 
that I hope that being a member of this church will equip you to do. Now, let me set it up before I get into what the four things are. They're not really related to each other, but they're just kind of four random thoughts. Before I jump into it, let me set it up by saying this, that we all have seasons in our faith journey where Christianity becomes dry. We all have seasons, not that we stop believing. Some of us go through seasons where we stop believing, but for the majority of us, it's not that we stop believing, it's that things just got stale, routine, ho-hum. Like we're going through the motions and like we're doing things that we're supposed to do, but like I know we don't like to say these words, but if we're honest, faith has kind of become boring. Like I opened my Bible, all right, John 11. Lazarus dies, yep, raised again. Who, who, who'd have guessed it? Okay, there he is, he's raised again. Every time I open the five loaves and two fish, every time Jesus feeds them all. So it's like, I know the stories, like, yeah, water and wine, Jesus walks on water, like he dies, oh no, he rises. We, like, we know how these things go. I've attended the meetings, like I know how all these, and if we're honest, it's not that we stop believing in them, it's not that we don't know the stories. Like we know that David wins every single time. Goliath goes down, even though it looks like, oh no, every time Goliath goes down. It's not that we stop believing in them. It's just that it kind of, so what? Like I won't do show of hands, but if I'm honest, how many of us have gone through a so what moment? Like, so what? Like, okay, so what? What's the difference? What's the difference if I go to church every Sunday or every other Sunday? So what? What's the difference if I pray twice a day or once a day? So what? Some people fast, some people don't fast. So what? Like, what difference does it make? If that's you, no offense, no offense. No one's going to get offended by anything I'm saying. This is all of us. If that's you and Christianity's become boring, let me be very clear and tell you Christianity's not boring. You are boring. Christianity, the journey of faith, is not a boring journey. And in fact, if your journey is boring, you might be doing it wrong. Because this thing right here, this is a wild ride. And this thing right here, you look at the guys who gave us Christianity, and you look at the lives they lived, lived there's no boring. Like go to St. Paul, okay, who decided to go from the, the worst villain, the bad guy in the story of Christianity, decided, you know what, I'm actually gonna be the good guy. Like how many movies where the bad guy becomes the good guy in the end? That was St. Paul. And St. Paul's journey, we'll talk about how he was, he was preaching all over and then the bad guys would chase him. They would throw rocks at him and he would escape narrowly. And then he'd get on a boat and they would take him captive on a boat. And then the boat would be shipwrecked and they would land on an island. And then the thing would bite him. Oh no, he's gonna die. Then God does a miracle. Oh no, he's gonna live. And this was St. Paul's life. Look at the story of St. John. St. John witnessed more miracles than anybody else, and he tells about him in his gospel. And St. Paul saw Jesus walk on water. St. John saw Jesus turn water into wine. St. John was there when dead people were raised. That's not boring stuff. That's not like, huh? Like, no matter how many times you see a dead person raised, I can't imagine it ever gets boring. How about St. Peter? St. Peter didn't watch Jesus walk on water. St. Peter walked on the water. St. Peter didn't watch Jesus feed people and heal people. St. Peter healed people and fed people. The, the journey of Christianity is not supposed to be boring. And if it has become boring for you, which I get it, it happens to all of us. You're doing something wrong. Something's not right. Not with the faith, but with the me. And if you today, at any point in time in your life, say Christianity has kind of become stale, that says more about you than it does about Christianity. So with that, four things that I wish for you out of love. Four things that I wish would happen to you in this coming year and that we as a church would equip you to be prepared for these four things. 
And I guarantee you, if you do these four things, I guarantee you, guarantee you, your spiritual life will not be dry. Your spiritual life will not be stale. You will not have someone beg you to pray and someone beg you to go to church. If you do these four things, I guarantee you, your spiritual life will be a exciting and fulfilling journey as long as you're doing these things. Four things. I'm gonna spend most of my time on number one. And the reason I say that is, again, I know it's a football Sunday, so I don't want you to take number one and spend this much time and multiply by three. No, I promise you, I'm gonna take more time on number one because I have some people, okay, I know, don't worry. It's football Sunday, I got you. Skin's got a one o'clock. I'm gonna spend most time on number one. Two, three, four, I'll go through a little bit quicker, but most of my time on number one because it takes a little time to unpack. And number one is this. The first thing that I wish for you, which I guarantee you, no one entered church today wishing for this, but this is what I wish for you in this new year. I wish that you would have the courage to act in faith and obedience. The courage to act in faith and obedience. Now, again, this is not a daily thing. This is not like a weekly, not a monthly. And sometimes, you know what, to be honest, I'm not talking about even like a yearly thing. I'm talking more about those inner nudges. You know that inner nudge? Have you heard, have you felt that inner nudge, that inner whisper, that itch from God that you don't really know where it's coming from and you don't really, you can't get it to be quiet though. That just won't go away. Like anytime you're in quiet, anytime you're in prayer, it's, 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 it's this little nudge that you should. And it's always pushing you to do something that's hard something that's out of your comfort zone, something that you don't really want to do that's kind of risky, that inner nudge that comes from God, I pray that this year that you would have the courage to act in faith and obedience to that nudge as opposed to walk away. The nudge that's inside you where everything up here tells you don't do it, doesn't make sense, not a good decision, but everything in here just won't leave it alone. I'm talking about the nudge where you don't know where it will lead to, but you 100% know where it is coming from. And I pray this year you'd have the courage to take that step. Now, obviously, just to kind of preface this, just in case there's someone who wants to misinterpret what I'm saying, obviously the key here is the obedience piece. I'm not saying to do foolish things. I'm not saying that someone should go out there and say, you know what, I sell my house and I'm gonna become a monk tomorrow. Okay, and you got a wife and kids who got no food to eat. I'm not saying it like that. I'm not saying you go and quit your job to preach the gospel. I'm not saying it like that. I'm not saying you say, you know what, you know, next person who walks in that door, that's who I'm gonna marry. Like next person who walks in that door. That's not, that's foolishness. And that is not what I am saying right now. What I am saying is something that I said, like I said, I don't know where it's leading me to, but I know 100% where it is coming from. And that is, is coming from God. For example, some of us, it's time to leave that job. Some of us, it's time to leave that job. Some of us, like we've had that nudge, like it's been years, our wife been telling us, our kids been at, it's been at the expense of our kids, like our spirit, like we've been hearing that nudge and hearing that nudge and feeling that nudge. And you know what? Maybe it's time, take that step. And I guarantee you this, I guarantee you this, back to what I'm saying about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, if you take that step, no one will have to say to you, did you pray this morning? Like if you leave that job and you don't know where you're going, I guarantee you no one will say, hey, make sure you read your Bible. Like no one will have to beg you to do that because you will be not did you pray, you'll be Bon Jovi. You will be living on a prayer. Like that's who you're going to be. You're not gonna be like, hey, did I read my Bible today? You're gonna be opening up and being like, I need verses of hope. I, I, need, I, I need something right here. You're gonna stand up and you're gonna say the Lord's prayer. And when we get to that part that says, give us this day our daily bread. 
Your mind is not going to be elsewhere, man. You are going to be all into that prayer. You're going to come to the liturgy. And we hear that part about, Lord, straighten our ways. And that will take on new meaning and new life to you when you are walking in obedience to a hard command that God has given you. Some of us, opposite. Now we need to leave that job. Some of us need to take that job. And some of us, God has put an opportunity in front of us and we haven't taken it because we feel like we are not qualified. Qualified? Man, since when has qualified been the criteria for the work of the people of God? Where would the kingdom of God be if you only did what you were qualified to do? Where would the kingdom of God be? Moses wasn't qualified to lead a group of people out of Egypt. David wasn't qualified to fight against Goliath. Paul wasn't qualified to start churches. Paul was the guy who killed churches. Where would Christianity be if we only did what we were qualified to do? Some of us, God has put that nudge on us. And God is telling us, I want you to take this. And I want you to take this step of faith. But like, I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever done anything in my adult life that I've been qualified to do. How does that make you feel? How com- much confidence does that give you? I can't think of one thing that I've been qualified to do. But since when is that the criteria? The criteria is not what I'm qualified to do, but what I am called to do. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this to his disciples. You did not choose me. I chose you. You did not choose me. You did not go to a a, a university and get a degree, and that's why I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Some of us need to get off our couches. You know what we need to do? We need to sign up for a hope event this year. Some of us need to stop talking about how the world needs to be a better place. Some of us need to get off our couches, roll up our sleeves, and do something about it. Sign up to be a mentor. Sign up to do the Read Aloud program. Yeah, it's great to say, you know what? We pray for those people. We wish them all the best. Maybe write a check here and there. Some of us, God wants to bless us in a new way, but we will never experience it unless we roll up our sleeves and do a new thing. Some of us, we're down to several other things. Some of us need to downsize. I don't know who that may be. Some people may need to downsize. Some of us need to volunteer. need to to take a, a, a proactive approach to our spiritual life. Some of us need to adopt. Maybe some nudges in here. I know sometimes people get that nudge to adopt. Okay, some of us need to take that step and just do it. Some of us, single people, need to stop dating. Some of us need to stop dating and take, we talked about this, remember Father Nathaniel, he was here several years back. Okay, he gave a talk one time about how some of us, the best thing you can do for your dating life is take a year off of dating. And you say, but that's scary. I don't know what's gonna happen. I, 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 I may be uh, without anybody. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'll tell you this. I know what happens is going to happen if you continue to do the same thing and mess up relationship after relationship after relationship after. I know where that's going to go. Maybe what you need to do is take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to stop for you. Can I go even more? Everyone go on the edge of their seat. Some of you, just break up with him or break up with her. You need to do it. I don't know why married people are nodding their heads. No, married people should not be nodding their heads right now. (laughs) Ain't no breakup at that point. But some of us, if we're honest, it's time to end it. You know he's no good for you. You know she's no good for you. Your mom knows, your dad knows, your neighbor knows, your dog knows, like everybody knows. And again, it's scary. But what if I don't find anybody else? Two things. Number one, what if you do? How will you know you won't find anyone else unless you end that? How do you know? And number two, and more importantly for our topic here today, I guarantee you, when you take that step of faith, step of courage, your attentiveness to your heavenly father will be so high in that moment.
your ability to decipher the voice of God, your desire to pray, your clinging to God and his church will go through the roof if you take that step. This is how we grow spiritually. We don't grow spiritually by learning about faith. We grow spiritually by taking steps of faith. Why is it that we read stories about saints? Why is it we read stories about Bible characters? Why did we just do a few months back a story about Abraham? Why did we do a study on Abraham for six weeks here in the well? So that we can learn what a man of faith looks like so we can clap for him and we can take notes on it? No, so that we could do what he did. St. Paul says it this way. He's talking about the life of Abraham in Romans chapter four. He says that Abraham, not being weak in faith, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Talking about how great his faith was and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it is accounted to him for righteousness. So far, what this passage says is, Abraham was a great man of faith. This is what he did. And God said, bravo, Abraham, you're a righteous man. Look at the next verse. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. It was not just written for Abraham as a story, like a fable that we can read it, tell our children, and then close the book. It was not just written for him, but also for us. That also for us should be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. We don't read the story of Abraham to know what Abraham did. We read the story of Abraham so that we can be like Abraham and that we can take steps of faith, that we can walk in courage, and that we can take a step where we don't know where we're gonna land, but we know who it is that's calling us to take that step. We don't ever wanna be a church. We read the stories of the saints and the lives of the saints and see them and clap for them and it has no bearing on our life. Once upon a time, Jesus was walking down a road, probably a hot summer day in Galilee, and Jesus ran into a couple of guys. And Jesus talked to these couple of guys. And we, we read the passage kind of quickly, so we may not have taken too much time to, to kind of delve into it. But Jesus comes to these two gentlemen, and he makes them an offer. He invites them to be part of something special. And I would call this the offer of a lifetime, the invitation of a lifetime. But these two guys didn't see it the way I see it. Not Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Then Jesus, he said to another, follow me. He says to this man, follow me. Now put yourself in the man's shoes. You're walking down the street, okay, and here comes Jesus. And he says, follow me. So you're thinking, okay, like another rabbi, you know, like uh, I've heard, like Jesus, like there's many rabbis. This was kind of like what rabbis did. Like if you were, if you were a, a teacher, you needed students. So a rabbi would kind of walk down the street and say, hey, you follow me, hey, you follow me, you follow me. And people would be like, okay, where are you from? Like, what, what's your deal? You know, like, like, what's the syllabus kind of a thing? Kind of like an internship. So this guy came, and Jesus says, follow me. And the guy's like, well, who are you? Who are you from? Are you a carpenter? I don't want to be no carpenter. Are you, are you from Nazareth? Like Nazareth? Nazareth is kind of like, I don't know, like the wrong side of the train tracks or whatever. Maybe It's not like a, 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 a beautiful area. It's just kind of Nazareth, kind of ho-hum Nazareth. And he responded, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, the important thing, we talked about this, okay, when I talked about this passage before. Here's the important part of this story, okay? You look at this and you say, you know, the guy wants to be there to bury his dad. No, you're just misunderstanding the passage. Okay, you're thinking about 2019 in the United States of America. That's not the way it was in the first century in, in Judea. When someone died, they buried them immediately. Those who are from overseas, think back to Egypt or Ethiopia, okay, those places like that. 
Someone died. It's not like, okay, call the people, put them in the morgue, you know, hold the body. It wasn't like that. When someone died, they buried him right away. So what this guy is saying, he's not saying my father is dead now. Let me go to the funeral and come back. That would be very insensitive of Jesus to say, no, now or never. That's not what Jesus was saying. What the guy is saying is like, my dad is still around. So you know what, Jesus, like uh, in a little bit. But you know what, Jesus, let me just kind of, let it go. I just, you know, like I, I'm in. I'm all in. What an honor. Thank you so much. This is very important. But like now's not the best time because like it's a busy season. That's what the guy's saying. It's a busy season. A couple of verses later, same thing happens. Another, Jesus invited him. And then another one said, Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Give me a little time. I just got a lot on my plate right now. So I'm all in. I'm all in. But just like now, like, I, like it's just a busy season at work. I can't leave right now. I, I got a lot on my plate. Let me ask you a question. Do you know, anyone know what the name of these two disciples or these two people who got invited to be a disciple, anyone know what their names are? No. And you know why you don't know your name? You don't know their name? Because they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything worthy for you to know their name. Nobody knows their name. But you know what? I always think this way. Think of wasted opportunity. Imagine these two guys. Let's call them, I don't know, Bill and Ted or whatever it may be. Okay, call them Bill and Ted. Let's say Bill and Ted finish this thing off, and they're just like, oh, you know what? You know what? And let's fast forward the story about a year. And Bill and Ted hear about there was this great rabbi who rose from the dead. And they say he is the Messiah, and he proved it. What do you think Bill and Ted are thinking? Dang it! Really misplayed that one. Like, you know when you invested and there was a stock opportunity and you didn't, like, you didn't go in on the ground floor like you were invited? Like, shoot! Dang it! Opportunity of a lifetime missed! Because they didn't have the courage to act in faith and in obedience. Jesus says to them, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And I think he says the same thing to us, not necessarily with the preaching of the kingdom of God, but you know what? We say we got stuff. We're busy. Busy season, not now. He says, let the busy stuff handle its own busy stuff. I'm calling you, and I'm calling you to take a step. Will you have the courage or not the courage? If you look at these two guys and you ask them, what was the cost? Well, what would it have cost you to follow Jesus versus what was the cost of your hesitation and inaction? Like, what did you gain Versus what did you lose? I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be you. That's why I say, as your priest, I don't want that for you. What does it mean to be a member of this church? What does it mean to be spiritually growing? Not learning about people of faith, but people who take steps of faith. And I believe that God is alive and that God wants you to take steps of faith. But my, my, my prayer, my wish, my desire for you is that when the call comes, you would act in courage. You would act in faith, not in foolishness but in obedience to what God has called you to do. This is not Bible is what I'm saying. This is life. This is not stories and movies. This is life. For those who have attended the membership group before, you've kind of heard me tell my story, all right, and how we started STSA right here. And what I always tell the story, I say about how in 2011, in 2011, God put something on my heart to take this step. But then you hear the rest of the story and you find out that I, we didn't do anything until 2012. What happened between 2011 and 2012? Well, that was a year of fear. And I'm honest, I'll be honest. 
That was a year where I was afraid. And that was a year where I was just kind of hoping, you know, uh, come back to me. Like circle around again, God, and come back to me. It just, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I don't know if I have the strength to, and I don't know, I definitely don't have the qualification to do it. Uh, and how am I going to leave here? And how am I going to be in charge of a thing? And I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know anything I'm doing. But you get to a point where God paints you in a corner. You only have two choices, obey or disobey. I'm glad I obeyed. I hope you're glad I obeyed. At that point in time, that, that year, 2011, 2012, I had 1,000 reasons to not take a step. 1,000 reasons. I could have given you a list, 1,000 reasons. Like I'm all the Excel spreadsheet, the pros and the cons. I could have given you on the no side, 1,000 things. On the yes side, I could only give you one thing. Nudge from God. I read this nice quote from a guy named John W. Gardner. He says this. He says, men and women of vitality have always been prepared to bet their futures, even their lives, on ventures of unknown outcome. If they had all looked before they leaped, we would still be crouched in caves sketching animal pictures on the wall. Jesus never called his disciples to learn about me. He called his disciples to follow me, to take steps of faith. That's the first thing. I'll move quicker through the next three. Number two, my wish for you this year is that you would know the thrill of being used by God to bring someone closer to him. The thrill, the ecstasy, the joy, the delight of being used by God to bring someone closer to him. Said another way, I hope that by the end of this year, by the end of your life, by the end of whatever, that there's someone out there, someone out there, way out there, I don't know where they might be, there's someone out there who cannot tell their faith story without mentioning your name who cannot tell about their deep relationship with God or their entry into the kingdom of heaven, who cannot tell their story without mentioning your name, a book that you put on their desk, the time you invited them to church, the sermon that you forwarded them and said, hey, you got to listen to this. I hope there's someone out there who says, you know what? There was a time I stopped believing in God. I stopped believing in myself, but I'm thankful that you still believed in me. I love this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is kind of like my life verse. Like when someone asked me to sign something, and I always write this, okay, 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Father Anthony, you gave up a lot to be in the ministry? Oh, heck no. Heck no, man. What I've gained, nothing compared to what I've given up because there is no delight, no joy, no thrill greater. And I know I'm making a high promise, but I stand by what I'm saying. Then to know that God used you in someone else's life. Scary statistics here for church members. Did you know that the longer you are in church, statistics say the longer you are in church, the less likely you are to invite someone to church or to have spiritual conversations with people. The longer you're in church, the less likely you are to care about people outside of church. And it seems like it should be backwards, right? Like it seems like the longer I'm in it, but it's not. And this is like my eyes, this passed the eye test because when someone first joined the church and someone first like knows God and begins that relationship with God, I mean, they're on fire and they want to tell the whole world. They want to invite you to church. They want to give you this book. And I want to tell the whole wide world how great this thing is. And when you first start your spiritual journey, it's all about God and everybody else. The longer you're in it, the more it becomes about me. The more it becomes about, well, I don't enjoy 
what they do in church. Doesn't make me happy. Uh, that sermon didn't touch me anymore. Why has it got to be so many people in my church? Why is it so crowded in my church? It'll always be at the beginning, God, others. By the end, unfortunately, we all naturally start to gravitate towards looking at ourselves. Last week, for those who were here at the open house weekend, for those who uh, were here for that, I was talking about the story of the prodigal son. And I was saying about how there's a story with a man, okay, and he had the prodigal son, the son who left, and the older son who stayed. And I was saying that the gravitational pull of every church will always be towards the son who stayed versus the son who left. Always. The gravitational pull, the inclination will always be for us who are inside the house to care more about the one who stayed, the older brother, who's kind of a complainer, okay? And the, uh, the inclination is, well, make him happy because we already lost that one. Let's make him happy. You never make this one happy. The inclination will always be to focus more on who is here versus who is not here. But we thank God that the story of the prodigal son, that father, wasn't focused on who was here. He was always focused on the one who wasn't here. And he made it his goal to bring that one back. And that's what he was telling the older one, that you're here, you're happy, that's great, but you need to be make sure that your eyes are always focused on what can we do to bring your brother back. And we, as God's church, body of Christ, we need to make sure, this is important, we need to make sure that our heart is always in tune with God's heart, that the things that make God's heart happy are always the things that make us happy. And we never want our heart to be disconnected from God's, that what makes me happy on a Sunday is different than what makes happy, make God happy on a Sunday. Then we know we're gonna be in trouble. So, practically, what do we need to do? Some of you, some of us, I should say, not just you, me as well, some of us need to take that step. We need to invite someone to church. You've wanted to invite them forever. You know they would benefit from being here. You can just see them here. Like you can just see them be like, you know what? If that person was in church, they would be like the most valuable asset to the church. Their life would be turned around. Take the step. Invite them to church next Sunday, friends and family day. Some of you, you just need to, you know what? Invite that person over for dinner. Invite them out to coffee and have a serious conversation and just share where your life has gone over the past two or three years. And don't just let it to be on the surface as it's always been. It's time for you to take that step. Some of you need to forward that sermon to someone. Some of you need to forward this sermon to someone. I'll ask you this, inviting people to church. When was the last time? For those who invited people to church before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When was the last time you showed up to church on Sunday nervous? Nervous because you invited somebody and you're nervous how they're going to be received or how they're going to receive the church. Sometimes people come to me and be like, hey, Father Anthony, I invited my boss here this week. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, no, 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 Father Anthony, you need to make it good this week. I'm like, no, really, it's good every week. Like, trust me, like every week is really, really good. I, I promise you, okay? Like, no, Father Anthony, don't do the, are you gonna do joke? Don't do the joke. Like, that joke is really, I'm like, hey, I got this thing, okay? I got it. But when was the last time that you showed up nervous because someone else was coming? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you invited somebody to church, you will pray that Sunday different than you prayed every other Sunday. You will attend the coffee hour before the well here and you will have a different mindset. You will not be focused on why is the line so long and where's my cup of coffee and I wanna sit here. You will be praying, please God, let this be a welcoming church. Please let somebody other than me say hello to this person. You will attend church with a different spirit inside you. And I think that's a good thing. We need to evaluate our church experience, not through what makes me happy, but what through 
a non-church person would see, and you'll never do that until you take that step of faith and invite someone. So number one, courage to act in faith and obedience. Number two, I pray you'd have the thrill of knowing what it means to be used by God for someone else. Number three, I pray, I wish, I hope that you'd experience the blessing of a life of giving and godly financial stewardship. Like I said, these aren't really related things. These are just kind of four random things, but you'll see where I'm going with this. I pray that you would experience the blessing of a life of giving and godly financial stewardship. As soon as you say giving, some people turn off. Hey, we're going to ask my, you're not asking for money. Okay, some people just go on the automatic. Here we go again. This is not asking for money. This is not saying the church needs, church, we need new lights. Eh, not, none of that stuff. Okay, anyone who's been a member of this church for a while, you never hear me talk about fundraising. You never say the church needs this. You never see the, bu- the bucket go around. Okay, I was, someone was telling me in another church they go to, the bucket goes around. Okay, and then it comes back and they see it's not enough, send her back again. Okay, and the bucket goes around two or three times till they come back with what they want. You never see that here. This is not about what I want from you. This is what I wish for you. And I pray and I wish that you would experience the blessing of a life of giving and godly financial stewardship. Meaning this, giving is only the first step. And I know that we have one of the most generous congregations in the world, and that's the best. But I want more than just giving. I want you to organize your financial life so that you are a godly steward. And if you want to know to organize your financial life, it's not really the goal of today's message here today, but I would say there's three things, and this is the order. This is the way you organize your finances. Give, save, live. That's how you organize your life. You start by giving. Giving is first. Second, save. Third, live. So this is not one of those give more, give more, give more. I'm saying some people are very good at giving, maybe not so good at the second one. I want you not to have a bunch of stuff only. I want you to have something much better than this stuff because I promise you this. If your life, I promise you this, I promise you, if your life is not organized in this way, give, save, live, I promise you, if your life is not organized, give, save, live, life will not go well. I guarantee you, your relationships will not go the way they're supposed to go. Your spiritual life will not go the way it's supposed to go. Your dreams, your future, your whatever it may be, your plans, if your life is not organized in this way, give, save, live, you're doing yourself a disservice, not me. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, did you know that what you do with your money is a direct reflection of your heart? That if I want to say, God, reveal your, my heart to me, like I want to know what's in my heart, I will show you what's in your heart. Show me your credit card statement and I will show you what's in your heart. Because that's what Jesus said. And we say, God, I give you my heart and I give you my life. Well, that's great. But if you don't give me the most important thing in your life, which is the thing that you're working 40, 50 hours a week for, it's hard for me to say that I got your life if I don't got your wallet. Does this mean the church needs money? No. Does this mean that we're not giving enough? No. Is this going to be followed up by a fundraising strategy? No. If you want to know my heart, 
my heart is this. I want you to show God that you are such a wise steward of the resources he has given you that he gives you even more. I want you to prove to God, to show God, that you are such a faithful steward with the resources that he has given you that he blesses you with even more. Example that I always give, if I got two kids and I say to these two kids, okay, and I give this one, the older one, a whole bunch of French fries, and I see that older one and he shares his French fries with the daughter, he is more likely to get more French fries in the future. But if I give him all these French fries, just thinking he's going to share with his sister, and she doesn't get any from the French fries, no more French fries for you. I don't give him any more because he is not faithful with the French fries that I gave him. God is the same way. God says, if, I, if you want more resources, you need to be faithful with what I've given you. And the one who hoards for himself is the one who's saying, God, do not bless me with more because I cannot be trusted with more because I will be selfish and greedy with what I have. But the one who learns to give and share is the one who God will never stop blessing. Look what it says here. I'm not making this up. Luke 16, verse 10 and 11. He was faithful in the least, is faithful also in much. He was unjust in what is least, is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? The one who hoards is only hurting himself. And my prayer for you, based on this verse, my prayer for you is that you would be so faithful with the least, with the little that God has given you. You would be so faithful that God would say, you know what? I want to trust them with more. And I want to give them more. And I want to open up the storehouses of heaven to bless them. Anyone want storehouses of blessing from heaven to open up on their marriage, on their home, on their career, on their health, on their parents' health, on their kids' health? You want the storehouses of heaven and blessing to open up on you? It says this in Malachi 3.10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I'm not very smart, I'm not very good at finances, but I think this is a good financial strategy right here. I think this is a good plan for how to be blessed in life, is to be generous with what God has given. Okay, let's recap the first three and we'll go to the last one. First one, I want you, I pray for you, my wish for you, that you would have the courage to act in faith and obedience this year to what God has called you. That nudge, that nudge, act in faith. Number two, that you would have experienced the thrill of knowing what it means to be used by God. And that there's someone out there who says, I wouldn't be here without you. Three, that you would know the blessing of organizing your life around giving and godly financial stewardship. And then the fourth one may not apply to everyone here in this room, but I think it applies to, to a considerable number. The fourth one is for anyone who's here today who's saying, you know what? I'm not all in yet. I'm one foot in and one foot out. Like, I like what I'm hearing, but I'm also kind of like my lifestyle the other way. So like, I'm, I'm like interested in learning more, but I'm not ready to jump in the deep end of the pool here in this whole church thing. If that's you, number four is for you. Just take a step. My wish for you is that you would just take a step towards God and towards his family. Even if you're not sold, even if you're not bought in, even if you, you know, I'm not even sure I believe everything that you guys believe. I think you guys are kind of weird in some things. Like you spend a lot of time in church. Your leader guy on stage has a weird outfit and uniform going on. I don't believe in calling him father. You talk about things. Okay, I get it. I'm not going to convince you here today. But maybe you can take a step. 
Just a step. I'm not saying jump in the deep end of the pool. I'm saying just a step. And who knows where that step may lead you. A step towards God, a step towards his family, the church. You know, when Jesus called his earliest disciples, he did not call them because they were all in. He didn't call them because they were convinced he was the Messiah. In fact, when he called them, we read about it in the Gospel of John chapter 1, we'll see it in a second here. When he called them, several of them were like, well, who are you? Why should I? And they were questioning and skeptical of who he was. And that didn't stop him from calling them to say, you know what? Just come and see. We read about it in John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. He found Philip and, and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You get what Nathanael's response is? Nathanael's response is like, so you, first you got Philip. Philip will make this modern context. Philip gets invited to church and Philip's like, oh, church is like the greatest thing in the whole wide world. And Philip comes back to the office. He's like, Nathanael, you got to come with me right now. Church is great. And you got to come. And Nathaniel's kind of like, what's so great about church? No, 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 I found Jesus. He's the best. Jesus from Nazareth? Again, like I said, Nazareth, wrong side of the train tracks. Anything good come out of Nazareth? He wasn't all in. He was skeptical. He was openly skeptical. He was questioning, saying, why should I? Let me put some more words in Nathaniel's mouth. Who cares about this, this, this church thing right now? Man, I got problems in life. Man, I'm busy. And I'm battling like real trials in life. Man, I don't got time to go play, sing Kumbaya at church. Like I got real problems in life, Father Anthony. So you know what? Like church is great. Like I'm sure one day like I'll have kids and I'll probably want to raise them in that because, you know, that'll at least make them obey me or something like that. But you know what? Like I don't got time now. I, can anything good come out of church? Can anything good come out of that? What did Jesus say to him? Or Philip, I should say. He said the same thing as Jesus said to him. Come and see. Just come and see. You need to like sign a statement of faith. Just show up. You don't need to give anything. Like I said, there's no baskets going to go around. People aren't going to stare at you. We're not trying to baptize you next week or make you like commit your life or something like that. We don't do any of that stuff around here. I'm not, we're not going to do anything to you. Just take a step. You never know. What do you got to lose? Come and see. Come attend church. Open up your Bible at home. What do you got to lose? Stand up. Say our Father. If you know the rest of it, keep on going. But if you don't know, just say our Father. What do you got to lose? Just take a step. And when you take that step, <clears throat> ask yourself this. Is more God in my life lead to more clarity or more confusion? Is more God in my life lead to more wisdom or lead to more foolishness? Is more God in my life make my life better or make my life worse? Come and see. No criteria. You don't have to believe anything. You don't need to know anything. You don't need to have memorized your Bible. You don't need to even own a Bible. Just take a step. You don't need to have your life all together. Those people think that. You need to have your life all together. No, you do not need to have your life all together. None of these guys had their life all together when Jesus invited them to come and see. And in fact, no one in this room has their life all together. So don't think that anyone here does. 
And if someone does make you feel like they got it all together and you don't fit because you don't have your life together, come and let me know. I will tell you all the things that are messed up in that person's life. Because you don't need to have it all together here. You just need to come and see. Just take a step. Let this be the year. I take a step. Just a step. Me, my story. I wasn't always close to God. Up until actually a year ago, okay, I lived most of my life kind of the pre-close to God phase, but now I'm old, guys, and I'm actually on this side of it, okay? I didn't get close to God until my last year of college. So I spent the first 20-something years of my life, 21 years of my life, not that close to God. Things changed in college, and the major change was that I saw I needed God. I came to the point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I need God in my life. And you say, that's kind of a no-brainer. Well, no. I spent the majority, the first part of my life thinking God needed me, thinking that I was doing him a favor when I went to church. Okay, God, tell the angels to be quiet. I'm going to pray now. You're welcome. I thought I was doing God a favor. I thought like I was doing a great service for God by going to church. And I realized in that, that last year at college, no, God didn't need me. I needed him. And then I just took a step. I didn't know what to do. I know I should probably go to church. So I started to go to church. When I got to church, I met some people, started hanging out, doing social stuff. Not the good social stuff at the beginning. It was just kind of like doing the same social stuff before, but just kind of with church people. So I'm not, I'm confessing, honesty. But as a step, and then eventually started attending more church services, went away on a trip. Priest asked me to serve. I don't know what serve means. Okay, I can do that. So can you drive the bus? Why not? I can drive the bus. Can you attend this? Class? Sure, I'll attend whatever. Eventually, step, step, step. Somehow, I decided to go on a mission trip to Africa. I didn't even know what I was going to do. I didn't know anyone who was on the trip, but that was like a pretty big step. I got there and said, preach. Okay, I can preach. I don't know how, to, but how hard could it be? And then came back, more involved. Step, step, step. Next thing I know, I'm wearing a black robe. I'm telling you all joke, but the trajectory of my life was not, was not, okay, you know what? I am a sinful person in college. I am going to change everything and become a priest. That's, that's not, that's no one. I mean, it's some, but it's not, it's not. It's a step. And that's all I'm saying to you. It's just a step. Just a step. I know the Bible's good. Okay, I'm going to open it. That's a step. Prayer's probably important. Okay, I'm going to pray. It's a step. Church on Sunday. Church every Sunday. Church early on Sunday. Step. I never gone to confession before. Step. My first confession, okay, I told you this. I didn't do my first confession until I was 22 years old. First confession. Actually, technically, I did it when I was 12, but that was just because my mom bribed me. She told me she'd buy me a new coat, starter coat, if I went to confession, so I kind of did it then. But that wasn't a real confession. My first real confession, some people tell me, I'm too old to start confessing. Why? Says who? Man, just take a step. I never confessed before. I don't know if I'm ready to go every month. Okay, just go once. I don't really confess everything. Okay, it's not your last confession, just your first confession, man. Just a step. Just take a step. Take a step and come and see, and you never know. That's my wish for you. First Sunday of fall, new school year. Wishful thinking. All of our teams are undefeated. All of us here today starting with a clean slate. The four things that I wish for you. I wish that you would have the courage 
Actually, let's take it from the bottom up. Like I said, I wish you would just take a step. Just come and see. It's a small step. And I wish you would pray about that and see what that step is. I pray and I wish that you would understand that a life of godly financial stewardship doesn't just bless the church and everyone around you. It blesses you in ways that you'll never experience until you actually try it. I want you to know the thrill. I wish you would experience the thrill because there is no greater high, no drug, no drink, no act, no nothing. Greater high than God used me. I was a pencil in the hand of God and I was part of someone's storm. No greater act. And lastly, what I talked about at the beginning. I pray that you would experience firsthand the courage to take that step of faith, not knowing where it's going to end up, but knowing for certain where it is coming from. And I guarantee you, if you do these four things, no one will have to beg you to pray. No one will say, did you read your Bible today? I guarantee if you do these four things, you will not come to me and say, Christianity is boring. Then you will experience the true excitement of a journey of a relationship with God. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this fresh start and for this new year that's in front of us, Lord. And we pray that we can take these four things that we heard here today and, and you can like tell us how to apply it in our lives and which one of these you want us to focus on. I pray, Lord, that our spiritual lives would never be dry. And if they are, that we would realize that's on us and that's not on you. And help us to do those things, Lord, to get spiritually mature, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.